Hey, let's thank our band. Wasn't that great? Thank you guys so much. So good. Yeah, have a seat. Welcome. My name is Eric Bryant. I'm the lead pastor here at Gateway Church in South Austin, and we're so glad that you're here. Here at Gateway, we say, come as you are, and we mean that. No matter where you might be on your journey, we are glad that you're here with us. And our hope is to help you move forward. In fact, we're in a series called, Oh, the Places You'll Go, and we're looking at different times the scriptures use the word go. And tonight, we're going to look at a story that might be familiar to you. But I, I want to encourage you, perhaps if you grew up from a religious background, or maybe an anti-religious background, I, I want you to open your heart and mind to consider this story in a fresh way. Rather than just assuming what others have said about Jesus or what others have said about the scriptures to be true, I want you to consider this story tonight as someone whose heart is open, whose mind is open. In fact, this is, uh, rather than reading this passage, we're going to watch a, a clip from a film, a British film, called The Gospel of John. And I want you to notice how Jesus responds to a woman who's in a very precarious, embarrassing, even shameful position. So let's watch together. So I want you to consider what was happening. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. And she was brought before a rabbi. Someone whose reputation had actually spread to the point where some were whispering that maybe this is the Messiah, the promised one, the one that was coming to rescue us. He was known for healing people. He was known for teaching with authority. And yet in this moment when she was humiliated, embarrassed, shamed, he said the most surprising of things. Where is everybody that condemns you? Neither do I condemn you. And then he goes on to say, go and sin no more. And we're going to talk about both of those phrases, but before we do, don't you just wonder what he was writing in the dirt? The scriptures don't actually tell us, but I thought the filmmakers were about to. But they, but they panned up at the last second, right before the big reveal. But actually, if you understand what was happening, you see, in this moment, Jesus is very aware that this is a trap. I can't help but think of Admiral Akbar in Star Wars. It's a trap, right? He realizes there are no witnesses, and where's the guy? I mean, even in ancient times, it takes two to tango. I'm wondering if maybe that guy was convinced by these religious leaders to seduce this woman or maybe to hire this woman. Perhaps she was a prostitute. And so Jesus does not want to take the bait. And instead, he did something that makes a lot of sense when you look at other passages of Scripture and understand the context of what was happening. See, there's this Old Testament verse that I think explains what he was probably doing. In fact, maybe he even wrote this verse, Jeremiah 17, 13. Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. See, every year 
at a feast called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the high priest would stand up in front of the crowd at the end of the festival and quote this verse. This phrase, hope, you are the hope, is literally translated from a word mikvah, which means purifying bath. See, on the Day of Atonement, they were being told that, that God is a purifying bath for his people. And at the end of that verse, the priest would declare, may the Holy One, may the Messiah, blessed be his name, cleanse all Israel when he comes. They looked forward to the day that the Messiah would come to bring forgiveness, atonement for everyone. And here in this moment, there's this idea that that those who turn away, the scriptures say, will be written in the dust by the Messiah. Now, every Jewish man who had gone to the Day of Atonement year after year after year would have heard this. So when Jesus begins to write in the dirt and perhaps even mentions Jeremiah, all of a sudden they realized he's not talking about the woman. He's talking about us perhaps even writing down the names of those standing there holding these stones. And think of in this moment how remarkable it would have been if just one of these men had dropped his stone and raced over to Jesus to say, I have forsaken God. I do need forgiveness. But not one did. In fact, it tells us that the oldest left first, probably because they'd heard that year after year. And immediately when he started riding on the dirt, they were gone. Younger guys hadn't heard it as often. But I want you to put yourself into the story. Who are you more like? Because in this story, the person who we can learn from, the hero of this story is the woman and how she responded. This woman stood before Jesus making no excuses, not trying to hide anything, and she encounters God's love and grace and forgiveness offered by Jesus. Are you open with God? Are you honest with God about your struggles, about your need for forgiveness, your need for him? Or do you find yourself more like these religious leaders who remain stuck in their secret sin and struggles, unwilling to admit they even need help. So today we're talking about this, this challenge in our hearts that, that God has an adventure for us. He has places for us to go, but sometimes what keeps us from experiencing the adventure of life, what God has for us, is actually the choices we make. The patterns in our life that we can't seem to let go of. Sometimes our own brokenness gets in the way of what God has for us. All of us struggle. All of us have secret struggles and sin. Even pastors do. Some of you are thinking, well, especially pastors do. <laughs> but Ted Beasley told a story. He was a part of this group of pastors here in Austin when he was on staff at our church. Now he's in business, but still on our teaching team. And one of the guys suggested, hey, guys, let's just be really open and honest tonight. I just want to confess something I've never confessed to anyone. And he went on to explain to them that he had a gambling addiction, that every time he left town, he could not help himself but spend way more money on gambling. In fact, trying to organize his life to get out of town. Well, the next guy started to confess. Well, I have a confession to make. He says, I, 
I plagiarize all my messages from a blog I found online. And Ted, it was his turn, so he said, you know, guys, I need to confess, my struggle is gossip, and I can't wait to get out of this room. (laughs) 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 See, I want you to consider that we all have issues. We all struggle. And what we do with that struggle will determine the type of person that you will become will determine what God can do in and through your life. And I want you to hear this phrase again. Neither do I condemn you. The most crucial truth about sin to cling to is that Jesus is not condemning you. Romans 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. See, Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world, to rescue us. That's not what we expect from God, perhaps. If you grew up with some sort of religious tradition or maybe an anti-religious tradition, your, your understanding of God has way more to do with guilt and shame and legalism. That if we do just enough, that then God will be pleased, then God might like us may even love us, might even rescue us. But, but the scriptures actually portray a completely different story that there's nothing we can do to earn God's love. In fact, he already loves us. In spite of who we are and what we've done, he already loves us. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans chapter three. Since we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners, both us and them, and prove that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives God wills for us. God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself, a pure gift. He got us out of the mess we're in and restored us to where he always wants us to be. And he did it by means of Jesus Christ. God sacrificed Jesus on the altar of the world to clear that world of sin. Having faith in him sets us in the clear. God decided on this course of action in full view of the public to set the world in the clear with himself through the sacrifice of Jesus. Finally, taking care of the sins he had so patiently endured. This is not only clear, but it's now. This is current history. God sets things right. He also makes it possible for us to live in his rightness. See, religion is man's attempt to get to God. It's the things we try to do to earn his love. But actually, that's not what Jesus did at all. Jesus actually came to us. It's not about what we do to get to him. It's already been done. God among us, and his name is Jesus. And he not only taught with authority and did the miraculous and exhibited and showed love that the world had never seen he also willingly after living a perfect life died on the cross giving his life for you and for me shedding his blood taking on himself the wickedness of humanity but because he was not just a prophet not just a great teacher not just a man but because he was God on that third day he rose again And he did this for you and for me. See, he invites us into relationship. He didn't come to start a religion or an institution. He started a movement 
of faith, love, and hope where humanity can reconnect to God. See, the work of salvation is done for you by the Savior, and all we have to do is simply receive by faith, just simply acknowledge, I need you to rescue me. I need your forgiveness. His love is extravagant. I mean, consider in this moment, these religious leaders thought they finally had trapped Jesus. We caught a woman in the act of adultery. Surely he'll condemn her. Surely he'll judge her. But instead, he offers grace. He offers mercy. He offers forgiveness. See, we all have a low light reel in our heads. The worst things we've done, the worst ways we've hurt others, maybe even defining moments in our lives, the things that we regret and live with every day. There are things that haunt us from our past that keep us from the future that God has for us. And God sees us differently than when we see ourselves. He sees us when we say, forgive me as completely clean, purified. But he also goes on to say, go and sin no more. Now some of you are thinking, okay, now that sounds like the God I grew up hearing about. But I I want you to understand what's happening here. He's not telling her to go and to be perfect He's not telling her to try and be a good person, to try and rack up more good deeds than bad. He's telling her that there's a pattern in her life that is keeping her trapped, that she's stuck. And in many ways, I like to think, and and I believe it to be true, that when he says, go and sin no more, that she was relieved, that she doesn't have to live this way anymore. I mean, consider in those times, A woman was barely more than property. They couldn't go out and and make money. And and perhaps in her mind, the only way to survive was to, to bounce from relationship to relationship. That's how she could pay her bills, maybe even take care of her children. Or perhaps she was actually a prostitute, maybe even charging these men so that she could survive. And Jesus looks at her and says, go and sin no more. You don't have to live that way any longer. See, many of us, if we're not careful, we overlook the patterns in our life. And we may even chalk it up to this is just how I am. This is how all my family is. We just own parts of our past and parts of our legacy that actually don't have to continue with us. Listen to 1 John If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. See, what he's saying is once you enter into a relationship with God, you are now in the light. Darkness has no power in your life. But what happens is we we forget, we we. We live as if we're still stuck in the dark. But what God's trying to do is to make us people who are more integrated, that how we are on Sunday morning matches who we were on Saturday night and on Monday. That we become the kind of people whose faith actually transforms us. We allow God to change us. Listen to Hebrews 12. Let us throw off everything that hinders 
and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So we don't have to live this way. We can run with God. We don't have to be dragged down by the baggage that we've carried for far too long. Now this word run, for some of you, it's a beautiful word. You're runners. You run triathlons, you run marathons, you run more than marathons. That's very Austin of you. That's fantastic. <laughs> but for some of us, running isn't something we long for. It's too hot, too sweaty, too much work. You know, I'd like to think that when I'm running, people would see me and think, wow, there's an athlete. But I think when they see me running, they think, oh, isn't that great? Look how he's trying. Right? <laughs> see, running for some, it's, it's this beautiful picture of being unhindered. Could you imagine living the kind of life where nothing can slow down what God wants to do in your life? That's what we have offered to us through what Jesus has done. See, the problem is some of us are just playing it too safe in our spiritual life. We're satisfied with just walking, never really tasting victory, never really pushing ourselves, never really seeing what we're capable of, but Jesus offers us a chance to run, to run free, not to be entangled, not to be held back, not to be trapped by shame or condemnation. Remember, Jesus says, I don't condemn you. See, what's at stake here is the kind of life that we live. Once we say yes to Jesus, once we've asked for forgiveness, we are forgiven. And you'd be tempted to think, well, now that I'm forgiven, I can do whatever I want. But actually, staying connected to sin, these patterns in our life, this brokenness actually slows us down, actually hinders the kind of experience we can have in life with Jesus. And actually limits what God can do in us and through us. It keeps us trapped in regret. Keeps us from experiencing the fullness of life. I, I want to run through just a, a few quick ideas of what sin does in our life these struggles if not addressed the damage they can do and i'm going to go through them really quickly and so let me just say that you can pick up the next step sheet which has them in there you can listen or look online at gateway south facebook group page but just a quick perusal of just some of the consequences of staying stuck according to the scriptures include things like Sin makes reading the Bible seem pointless because we're not allowing transformation. We're not applying what we read. Sin takes away our excitement about God's involvement in our life. Sin robs peace. It wipes away confidence in prayer. Sometimes it keeps God from saying yes to our prayers. It keeps us afraid of what might be exposed. Sin leads to more sin until we feel like we're out of control. Sin grieves God and interferes with us representing Christ. See, when we say yes to Jesus, we should want to be different out of gratitude for what he's done for us. We should be motivated to live the new life that he promises, knowing that the world needs us to live free. You may be wondering, well, you don't understand, I was put into a family that's just a mess. I've inherited a lot of baggage. 
Maybe that's even why you struggle to trust God. But have you ever considered that maybe God puts you in that exact family so that he can heal you and through you bring healing to everyone who comes after you and even offer healing to those who are older than you? Band is going to sing a song. And I want you to just consider this question. See, Jesus would often ask questions of those who were following him. One of the most intriguing questions that he would ask is, what do you want me to do for you? I want you to consider in this moment, Jesus is asking you that question. How would you answer? What do you want me to do for you? What do you really want? What is it you desire? See, as the band sings this song, it's an expression of a desire to give up control. And as you listen to it, I want you to just, in your heart, talk to God about anything that may be getting in the way of the race he has for you. What's, what's an ongoing attitude or behavior or habit that so easily entangles? We don't have to be slowed down anymore. God can be trusted with every area of our life. There's this passage that says in 1 Corinthians 6, the following. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. See, because Jesus paid his sacrifice, when we say yes, when we ask for forgiveness, when we allow him to become our leader, our Lord, we have a lot of freedom. There's a lot of latitude. But see, even the good gifts that God gives us, if we're not careful, can become gods in our life. We can take things that have no negative meaning, but if we become mastered by them, we're, we're stuck. And so how do we know if something is mastering us? Just consider, does it consume your thoughts? Or does it interfere with your connection with God? Consider, is it something you use to check out of reality? Is it something that gives you more pleasure than God? When you cover it up in secrecy, in so doing, you're covering up your heart in secrecy. Is it something that you've allowed to drive a wedge between you and your spouse? Is it something that causes others to stumble? Is it something you've described about yourself as always true or never something you could overcome? See, even good things can be things that become gods and become masters over us. And Jesus is saying, look, I don't condemn you, but if you want true life, come clean. Be honest. Ask for help. Ask for forgiveness. Now, I have to confess, this week I was not excited about this particular talk. Who wants to talk about secret sins and struggles? And I feel like I've shared with you in the past, like I, I, I've struggled with my temper. I have a bad temper. And, and I discovered the roots behind it was actually a lot of anxiety and a, a need to control. And, and I started working the steps several years ago and I'm making lots of progress. But, but typically whenever I'm preparing for a message, it's, it feels like I end up having to relearn whatever I'm going to talk about. And this was just a terrible week, if I'm honest with you. It was an awful week. Everything seemed to be going wrong. 
start off, several of us in the family were sick, and then the kids had finals, and so the stress of that, and then our minivan stopped working, and I took it to the shop only to pick it up, and the battery didn't work, and it was just one thing after another. A couple weeks ago, I got rid of these rats out of our storage shed, and now they're back, so obviously I didn't get rid of them. And I was trying to fix a corner of our roof that had water damage. And, and, and those were my days off. It was just a terrible week. Things just were not going the way I wanted them to go. And I have to admit, there was a particular moment where I just got triggered. I relapsed. I lost it. Somebody said something that just hit me wrong, and I just started yelling. And I was yelling like, pre-Jesus yelling, like it was a terrible moment. And my wife wants you to know, I did not say profanities in those moments, but the tone and my anger was pre-Jesus, right? I just need to clarify that. It was not a good moment. I am not proud of that moment. And to make matters worse, I did not realize this, but one of my kids was on FaceTime with a friend. Yeah. Yeah, even worse. Not only was I embarrassing myself, losing myself in front of my family, but one of my kids' friends, who knows I follow Jesus. I was so embarrassed, so humiliated, so exposed as a hypocrite. It's in those moments that we're aware of how sin so entangles us Right when we think we've made progress, it just comes right back to grab us. And in the midst of this rough week, the last two nights, I haven't slept very well. Saturday morning, excited about sleeping in. Three something a.m., I'm wide awake. This morning, 3.18 a.m. This time I decide maybe God's trying to teach me something, trying to tell me something. And so I turn to look up Ephesians 3.18. Because that's, I know there's, there's something really positive there. I can't remember exactly what, but on my way to Ephesians 3.18, I noticed in my Bible app on my phone that I was already in Ezekiel, so I decided to read Ezekiel 3.18. Big mistake. <laughs> it says this. When I say to a wicked person, you will surely die. <laughs> and you do not warn them or speak out to dissuade them from their evil ways in order to save their life. That work, the person will die for their sin, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. I was already not looking forward to this talk. <laughs> and then to read that. And so I, I quickly turned over to Ephesians, my original plan, and it was far better. It says, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And that's when I started to realize both of these are true. See, not only does God give us the capacity to change, he gives us the power to change. He allows us to be a part of the transformation in the lives of other people. That's actually a real gift and because he loves us, he actually does warn us. Over and over and over, the scriptures tell us, don't go away from God's ways. It hurts you. It hurts others. See, God loves us so much that we cannot be separated from his love that is so high and so wide and so deep. But because he loves us, he warns us. 
He forgives us when we fail, and he warns us of what hurts us. Now, I have to admit, I grew up in the Bible Belt. I grew up in Dallas, which I think is the belt buckle of the Bible Belt. And there was this phrase that, that I would hear, and it was meant to encourage us, but it actually it was, it was more frustrating to me. It's a phrase, maybe some of you have heard it. Every once in a while, I hear this phrase, the Bible says it, that settles it, I believe it. Now, there are some people who just say, hey, just tell me what to do and what not to do, and I'll do it, or not do it. But see, to me, this created the Bible as some sort of don't-do list. And, and I'd seen enough people out of guilt or legalism doing the right things but not being transformed in their heart. And so as a result, I had resistance to trusting God in his ways. But fortunately, in my 20s, I had people investing in me who, who didn't just tell me to do what the Bible says. They told me why the Bible says what it says. And honestly, for years, I just thought I was so grateful that I had people to help me understand that. But I have wondered, why didn't God just tell us why the Bible says what it says instead of just telling us what it says? And it wasn't until this morning, about 3.20 a.m., that I realized it does over and over and over. Let me give you just one example. One of the Ten Commandments is do not commit adultery. Do not have intimate relations with a, a person who is not your spouse. And we see literally case study after case study after case study in the scriptures of people who did not listen to that and actually suffered really painful consequences. People like Abraham and David, these are biblical heroes. Parts of their lives were amazing to to emulate and other parts were destructive they destroyed not only their own lives but the lives of those they cared about see over and over and over the scriptures warn us god loves us so much that he's trying to say look you understand trust me on this first corinthians 6 says it this way flee from sexual immorality all other sins a person commits are outside the body but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? These commandments over and over, overcoming materialism, and lust, avoiding hurting others and hurting ourselves. God's love for us is so real that he warns us. See, everything is per permissible, but not everything is beneficial. In sin, these patterns take on different forms. Some of us struggle with doing bad things we know we shouldn't do, but others of us struggle with doing the good things we know we should. And others of us have taken what God gave us as good gifts and we've turned them into God's, things we go to instead of him. See, God loves us so much and in his freedom for us, he allows us to have what we want, which can include the consequences so I did this morning what I've done many times before after finally realizing that I was the problem, that these circumstances are first world problems. This was not a bad week. I had a bad attitude. And so I asked God, as I've done many times, as I will continue to do, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. I've been bogged down with silliness and meaninglessness help me live out the new person that runs 
and is no longer stuck. See, God wants to do the same thing in your life. 1 John 1.9 says it this way, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. James 5.16 says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. See, I used to look for and try to spend time with righteous people because their prayers are powerful and effective. About 10 years ago, I realized, wait a minute. I wanna be one of these righteous people whose prayers are powerful and effective. How about you? And you know what? We're gonna make mistakes, but you know what? My future is not gonna be the default of my past. God's invitation to you and to me is to run. So what I want to do in this moment is invite you in your heart to reconnect with God. He purifies us when we ask him to. And it's in the context of community, uh, having at least one other person that you can confess, that, that suddenly you have support system around you. But I have to tell you, I have to admit, I had one not so good verse, Ezekiel, 3.18 and one really good verse in Ephesians 3.18 so I turned to one more verse just to break the tie I went to Revelation 3.18 which says this I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see those whom I love I rebuke and discipline so be earnest and repent here I am I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come in and eat with that person and they with me see Jesus looks at you and he wants relationship doesn't matter what you've done he invites you to dine with him and to run with him so this last song we're gonna sing together as a declaration, or you can use this time just in your own heart to continue to connect to God, let him speak to you. But in this moment, would you just stand with us as we sing together?